And now, live from Atlanta, Georgia, everyone's social media friend, it's Deb Creer. Every week, Deb talks with the movers and shakers, the experts, the best of the best in social media, bringing you all of the latest tips, techniques, and trends for successfully using social media. In social media, there's only one constant, Deb Creer. Good morning, good morning, everyone. I am Deb Creer. I'm the socialite, and I am passionate about working with professionals to show them how to use social media as a tool to promote themselves and their businesses. And once again, my guest is somebody I have never met in real life. We've only met online. You know, and, and I emphasize that every time this happens because I have so many people that say, I never make any good business connections online. And now granted, I work it. I work it hard to do this, but it's not a problem. And it is pretty easy to make great business connections. So please join me in welcoming Tara Alameni. Hi, Deb. Thanks for having me. Great, great. Um, well, for folks who aren't familiar with you, let me just go through your bio here very quickly. Tara Alameni defies a simple definition. She is an award-winning author and speaker, as well as a serial entrepreneur. Her publishing company, Emerald Lake Books, benefits experts and thought leaders as they grow their business by taking their words from manuscript to masterpiece. Her consulting company, Alloweb Social Marketing, helps authors and speakers get found online, on stage, and on the shelf. The two companies combined provide a full-service agency feel while retaining the personalized touch that only a smaller organization can bestow. In addition to publishing, consulting, writing, and speaking, Tara serves on the boards of directors for a Christian Writers Critique group, as well as acting as co-president and chaplain of the group. In her spare time, she is a novice winemaker, a martial artist, a juggler, a military mom to two teenagers, one of each, stepmom to two dogs, one of each, and, as we all know when you have these, she is owned by her black cat. So again, please join me in welcoming Tara. Thanks, Deb. I, I, lo- I love listening to that. Every time I listen, I know. it's like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I, it's, it's always such fun. And, you know, let's, it is one of those things that I think so many people need. They need their own bios. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's that you're posting it on your website, the, your book jacket, all of those things, it's something that I think we all need to think about. And it's, it's sometimes very difficult to come up with because we don't want to brag about ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's really one of those funny things. And, and especially women, you know, little boys, they were taught, you brag, <laughs> you carry on, you know, you, you just are going to talk about the fact that you ruled the world. But girls, no, we were taught that, that you don't do that. So I always love it when I read um, other women's bios because they're always so fabulous. Yes, we were raised with that, you know, little girls are to be seen and not heard. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. you know, and, and we certainly didn't brag about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Do you find, you know, and, and this is this is really going to be a free-flowing conversation. I love it when we have days like this. You know, you, you've got this publishing company, and so you're working with authors. Do you find that having a good author bio is something that's difficult for them? It, it is, because a lot of times they have no clue what to put in there. Uh, mm-hmm. They don't. They, they don't know how much personal to add versus how much professional to add. And, mm-hmm. and what I found is, is there's this nice balance and blend of the, of the two. Um, right. You know, we talk in our culture about work-life balance. 
Mm-hmm. And yet, in all honesty, we are we are a single human being who mm-hmm. is both working and living. And right. a lot of times, you know, we try and keep them so completely separate mm-hmm. that we don't give anybody the benefit of knowing who we really are. Mm-hmm. And so in these bios, I really like to include a little bit of both because oftentimes, mm-hmm. especially in social media, I find that people key, on, key in on the personal parts and right. that's why they want to get to know you. Mm-hmm. And, you and, and when I looked at your Facebook page, your personal page, and saw the military pictures of your kids, I'm like, wow, that is so cool. Mm-hmm. And, and people do. They catch those personal things and it really helps them to, to get to know you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you know I can I can work day in and day out with a, with an author or with a speaker, and and yet if they don't have these personal touch points, I'm just another business resource to them. Mm-hmm. And right. with the people that I work with, I really like to to build these relationships, which I do through social media, I do through personal contact, uh, but really to build these personal relationships so that it becomes a longstanding relationship, not just mm-hmm. a, a transaction between us. Right. And it's one of those things where when you develop those personal relationships, it does, it, it transcends and it lasts longer. You know, so maybe it's somebody who, you know, is, is following you on Facebook. They aren't, you know, they, they've, they're not an author right now, but I think we all, you know, in some way think, Ooh, I could do that. Mm-hmm. I could do that. And so when they finally come, you know, and, and to the decision that they are going to write that book, they go, Oh my gosh, I remember Tara. I've got to work with her. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, and, and I think that's the problem that so many people have on social media is they now, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the people who are using it for both for business and for for personal use. They they do think, well, I have to be one or the other, you know, so maybe I'm going to use Facebook just for my personal use. And, and of course, there's there's no rules. It really is what you're comfortable doing. So they'll let people know their personal side on Facebook and then maybe their business side on LinkedIn. But those two have to actually connect. Mm-hmm. How do you work with people to really develop those strategies on multiple platforms? Well, that's that's the interesting thing because oftentimes the authors that I'm working with, they're just getting started. So mm-hmm. I, I tend to work with somebody who sees this book as part of their business model. They're gonna they're gonna okay. create more visibility for themselves, create better educated prospects. So a lot of times when we're working on this book, they may have only been in business for just a couple of years, or they're just getting started uh, mm-hmm. in business as well. And so when we're working on their social platforms and how are they going to build a following and what kind of content strategy are they going to use and all of that, I really start out first with identifying the one social media platform that makes the most sense for them to be on okay. based on okay. who they want to connect with. Right. Because And I love this sentence on your, your website. Facebook is not going to fit everyone's marketing needs. Exactly. Couldn't be said any better. Mm-hmm. I, I have so many people who come to me and they've autom- automatically made the decision or already made the decision as to where they need to be without ever mm-hmm. looking to see if the people they want to connect with are there. Right. You know, now there is something to be said for for being where you're comfortable. So maybe mm-hmm. you've always used Facebook, but you're right. If that's not the place where the people you're needing to reach are posting, reading, all of those things, then it's a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I really, I emphasize kind of a growth strategy with them where we okay. start where either they're they're already comfortable and how can we connect with the subset of who they want to reach there, mm-hmm. but then what other platforms are the best platforms for them to be on because what used to happen when I first started with social media is is everybody was like well I need to be on Twitter Facebook and LinkedIn I need to be on all three at the same time and they'd become overwhelmed 
with mm -hmm. the different messaging strategies, with the different demographics, with, you know, being connected with, you know, I could be connected you with you on LinkedIn, but not connected with you on Twitter. And, mm -hmm. you know, if I'm putting the same content or I'm connected with you in all three places and I'm putting mm -hmm. the same content at all three, suddenly you're inundated with redundant information. Mm -hmm. So how do you, you know, keep things uh, interesting? and differentiate right. from one platform to the next. Uh, mm -hmm. Part of what I do with that is, is recognizing the fact that, you know, people are on different platforms at different times. Mm -hmm. And so we can kind of stagger the timing of when similar content goes out. So a post that I may put in one social media platform today, I may not put out on another one for, you know, three or four days. Right. And so I have actually a better opportunity of them capturing, capturing it because they may actually be on at that time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. What do you, well, do you use scheduling programs or something like that? Because, you know, that is the one thing that whether you're an author, whether you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, you know, we, we don't have enough hours in the day. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where sometimes social media then tends to catch people is they either think, well, I can't do it because I can't post that much. Or the opposite happens. They go on to Facebook to do their one post and three hours later, they're still looking at the cat videos. <laughs> Um, you know, what, what tools do you recommend that people use? It's interesting. I use a combination of tools. Uh, okay. So one of the things that we tend to put out there is, is information that we think is that, that we're reading that's of value to our followers. Right. Mm -hmm. So I use Buffer for that. Uh, okay. I really enjoy just being able to love Buffer. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I use it a lot. And then what I also will use is I'll use Hootsuite when there mm -hmm. are things that maybe are my evergreen content that I want to be putting okay. out there and I'll un incorporate that staggered with the buffer schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the final thing that I do is, is typically s during some downtime on the weekend, um, I'll go to my Facebook pages mm -hmm. and I'll schedule out the content for the week that I want to go out on the pages mm -hmm. just so that I can make sure that I'm varying content. I'll have a, a, a meme one day and, and an article another day and, you know, be able to do that. But I use uh, something that's my own newspaper that I created on Paper Li. I'm not, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with that, mm -hmm. I um, but I use that. I have a Writer's Daily newspaper. And so it allows nice. me to go out and kind of pull the top trending articles mm -hmm. and figure out which ones are the most interesting. And then I can go ahead and, and put those into my Facebook page schedule. Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting. Walk us through how you set that up. Which part, Paper Li or the? the yes. Mm -hmm. So so if you go to paper.li, you have the opportunity with a free account to set up up to five different newspapers. Okay. And uh, what they do is when I set up a newspaper, I set up keywords, hashtags, mm -hmm. accounts, Twitter lists, whatever it is that I'm interested in aggregating into a, a, a newspaper that is okay. automatically updated every 24 hours. Mm. And what PaperLi does is it looks for Twitter content that contains links, mm -hmm. and then it um, prioritizes it based on how popular those links are. Okay. So your headline features are going to be the articles that are getting the most visibility right then. Mm -hmm. um, but it's all coming from this this predefined set of search criteria that you're, you've put for your paper. Mm -hmm. uh, the nice thing about it as well is you can set it so that it automatically will tweet out uh, when it refreshes each day and it will oh. congratulate mm -hmm. the top contributors that day. So those are the ones whose, whose tweets uh, have mm -hmm. the highest amount of traffic. And mm -hmm. so it also allows you to build your tw Twitter following that way because you're congratulating people for their stories in your newspaper that mm -hmm. day. And, of course, they usually respond back and start following you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. 
So do you have to be following them in order for the content to be found? No, because if I'm using uh-huh. if I'm using just search criteria, it'll mm-hmm. look across Twitter. So I can right. it doesn't matter if they're following me or I'm following them. Okay. Well, and I love that you can automate it. Mm. So, you know, you could you could do an industry or you know whatever it is that you're picking and then it just goes off and and it does it. Yep. I have a social media daily, I have a writers daily, I have a couple of different newspapers like that 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 are great because not only are they good for the people who are following me that have that similar interest, but I use them as a means of finding content that I can quickly and easily share. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's kind of it's uh it's crowd approved already. <laughs> right. Mhm. Well, and the cool thing is, you know, it only goes out on Twitter, but you read it and you go, oh, hey, that's a great article that I want to put on Facebook or LinkedIn or, you know, yeah. and so you're not having to continually be searching for content, which I think is one of the other problems that people have is they say, I just don't know what to post. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, they either say there's too much and they get overwhelmed or they think I don't have anything to post. Right. I agree. It, it does make it very, very easy because uh, I don't have to go looking. I don't have to mm-hmm. set up a Google alert, although I have them, but Paper mm-hmm. LI is always the first place I go. And the nice thing about it is each newspaper you set up, you have this um, editor's bio. You're, you're considered mm-hmm. the editor. editor. Mm-hmm. You have an mm-hmm. editor's bio that can contain a link back to your website. And if you really want to get fancy, you can pay for a premium account and you can fully brand the paper to be your business ah. brand or your, your author brand. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think that's a very cool idea. And again, I think one of the things I like most is that it can be automated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we it, it it can get overwhelming, especially if you're trying to be in multiple platforms and, and do then what it is that you're supposed to be doing, whether you're an author or a business person or whatever. And so the more you can automate and simplify things, the better they are. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit more about Twitter because... You know, I'll admit, when I first started on social media, Twitter was my platform. Love Twitter, was there all the time. And then I'm kind of one of those that went, and part of it is, you know, for people who know me well, know that I can't be really brief. And (coughs) so being short on Twitter for me is, is a little bit difficult, but you love it. So tell us why you like Twitter and why it is kind of your, your platform of choice. You know, um. Twitter is is one of those that that is just an amazing platform to me. Uh, there's so much that you can do with it, and and for me, there's a nostalgic piece to it. Okay. I first started on Twitter uh, mm-hmm. right around the time that I lost uh, a corporate job, mm. and um, when I started, I I kind of had this feeling it was a, it was a family run company, mm-hmm. and I almost felt like I got voted off the island. Oh no! Because <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. as soon as I ended up at home, all of these people that I had spent day in and day out with for for years uh, were no longer a part of my life. Right. And here I was at home, and and mm-hmm. I had had a business previously, um, trying to find a job now, and and all these different mm-hmm. things. And Twitter kind of became my community. It was okay. it was that thing that kept me from being isolated, and mm-hmm. I immediately fell into a group that was on Twitter called Lead uh, the Lead Change Group. Mm. And lead change uh, eventually became a nonprofit, um, mm-hmm. but it really was about kind of discussing leadership issues and what mm-hmm. was wrong in leadership today, not from the standpoint of complaining about it, but how do we fix it? Mm-hmm. And the whole premise was that every single one of us is a leader in some way, shape or form, and okay. that we, we lead from who we are, not from a position. Mm-hmm. So we, we engaged in this conversation. Eventually, I ended up co-authoring a book with mm-hmm. 21 other authors 
mm. on Twitter. And this wasn't an, an anthology. This was a co-authored book. And I became the chief okay. content editor and all this stuff. So, so mm -hmm. Twitter for me was really about developing this family, this community, this, this close knit group of friends. Mm -hmm. And later on in, in, uh, a couple of years later, I ended up, um, losing my fiance and, mm -hmm. and this community of people that I had never met, um, really rallied around me. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it was, it was, they were actually there for me more than people that I knew in real life, mm -hmm. uh, which, which touched me and amazed me in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, Twitter, uh, I've seen the power of Twitter. Mm -hmm. I know. You know, and, and it is something that you have to work at. Yes. Um, you know, you can't just go in and do a tweet every once in a while. Mm -hmm. How much, you know, and, and, and I always love this question when I get asked it, so then I love asking other people this question. How much time do you spend on Twitter? And and I ask that knowing that, yes, this is your job to, to do that, but you also have really nurtured this into a great business tool. So how much time do you spend on Twitter? You know, not nearly as much as I used to. I ah. hate to say it. I, I, mm -hmm. I miss it. Um, mm -hmm. I miss the community aspect of it. I probably only spend about an hour a week on it right now. Wow. Uh, which, you know, is not nearly as much as I would like to because mm -hmm. I have found that there are some other uh, social platforms that are working better for me right now. Okay. And, and what are those? Um, I'm actually finding that uh, I, there's a lot of benefit to me in Facebook groups. Okay. Uh, the last... In fact, I think we met in a Facebook we group. We did meet in a Facebook group mm -hmm. uh, through Patty Farmer. Yes. And so, um, you know, Facebook groups have been kind of the place where I've been spending a good amount of time because mm -hmm. the conversations that people want to have are longer than you can have on Twitter yes. right now. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a, a group that I participate in that's uh, for self-publishing, for self-published authors on doing book marketing. And mm -hmm. so being able to engage in some of those conversations there uh, allows me to show my expertise, lend help to people. Um, you know, I found the same thing with some LinkedIn groups. Uh, mm -hmm. The thing about some of the LinkedIn groups that I found, though, is that there, there's so many people that there seems to be a different etiquette when it comes to LinkedIn groups and Facebook right. groups. And when I see somebody post something in Facebook, it's very hard to pass it by if no one's commented on it. Hmm. The, 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 for me, it's just this thing of, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they can't be ignored. They need a response. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> LinkedIn groups, there are so many discussions that get posted that nobody ever answers. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, as much as I liked the feature in LinkedIn group about being able to become a top contributor and the visibility that that gave you within the group, um, I, I just found after a while it became so much white noise. Mm -hmm. Because nobody was really engaging in the questions. They were just trying to figure out, you know, what they could ask to be right. seen. You know, and, and it's funny, and obviously it could just be the groups that I belong to, but I have found that on LinkedIn, it's more focused on selling. Mm -hmm. You know, the, it's, it's somebody talking about the latest product or service that they have. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and on Facebook, it's more social. You know, it, they might be talking about the product or service that they have, but they do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously it does depend on the group, but it's, I think that might be why I'm liking Facebook groups more. And, and, you know, they, I think they started off more for just like the fun type of things, but they, it has evolved into great business tools. I, I agree. And I've, I've also seen in the last year and a half or so with LinkedIn, uh, especially with the advent of this whole LinkedIn social selling that, that people mm -hmm. started talking about. Everyone mm -hmm. who wants to connect with me wants to sell to me. Right. And it used to be uh, when I would talk about LinkedIn, when I would you know, give my talks, I would, I would talk about the fact that for me, LinkedIn is about quality, not quantity. Mm -hmm. I'm not a LinkedIn open networker. 
right. know, if I don't see some kind of reason as to why we, mm-hmm. why we should connect, I, I don't accept the invitation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and for me, it was about building that relationship. So if somebody reached mm-hmm. out to me, I wanted to know why they wanted to connect with me. Right. And mm-hmm. I usually responded with, thanks for the invitation. I'm looking forward to getting to know you. What big mm-hmm. thing are you working on right now that's got you excited? So I could get a mm-hmm. conversation going. Uh, now the first contact that I'll have for, from people after they reach out to me is, you know, uh, sign up for my free webinar or download right. my, free, you know, it's all this stuff. And it's like, or mm-hmm. I'm getting the, the pickup artists with the mm-hmm. fake profiles. I know. I love that. I, I You know, it, it, it does do something for your ego when you get the high, you're cute. But at the same point, it's like, okay, this, this is LinkedIn. Yeah. You know, th- that's not what you're supposed to be doing here. Yeah. So, so I've just gotten to the point where LinkedIn is not my favorite place anymore, even though it was at one time. Mm-hmm. I, I, so I've gone through this stage. I really liked Twitter a lot. I used it all the time. Then I started mm-hmm. using LinkedIn more, and, and uh, I never thought I would say it, but I'm using Facebook more right now, despite mm-hmm. the fact that I don't consider Facebook to be very friendly to businesses. Right. I still find it beneficial for my business because of the way mm-hmm. I use it. Well, and the the point that you make is is, I think, very valid. Your strategy, your marketing strategy, and whether it is that you're marketing your book or a product or a service, it has to evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are new platforms that come out. The, you know, it's it's interesting to watch. You know, now the the big thing is all these platforms are adding video and and things like that. And you know, it's it you you do have to be ready to evolve. And then the problem comes in that it it kind of is this oh my gosh now what do I have to change to today type of of. Uh, process. I, I will admit I'm feeling a little bit of that. Uh, Joel Com is is somebody I'm connected with on Facebook, mm-hmm. and he's talking about this whole um, uh, live video revolution. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, between Periscope and Blab and Facebook Live and all these different things that are coming out there, there's this push that you almost have to do video. Mm-hmm. And video isn't really my forte. I mean, I, I would much rather do audio than video. Right, right. <laughs> um, I, and I can't even explain why that is. So, so mm-hmm. you start to have this little sense of panic of, well, am I going to fall behind if I don't embrace these platforms? Mm-hmm. But there have been so many things that have come and gone. I mean, before Periscope and Blab, there was uh, there was something. Um, Mercat. Mercat, yeah. I yeah. haven't heard mm-hmm. about Mercat since probably three months after I heard about Mercat the first time. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, I think it got bought by somebody or something. I don't know. But, but yeah, it's, and, and that is one of the problems is you can't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. Um, you know, we've seen people who have done that. They've said, you know, I'm only going to use X, you know, platform or things like that. And then it, you know, they do go away. They get bought by the bigger guys, especially if it looks like they're, you know, something that is going to be profitable. And, you know, then things change. And, and, uh, the the thing though that I think so many people forget is these are somebody else's toys to, for for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. You still have to have your own website, exactly. and you know, and and whether it's that you're an author again or or you know an, an entrepreneur or whatever, so you should be directing people to that site. So if you know, let, let, I I love talking about authors because you know I think we do. We all have a, a you know this this secret need and this secret desire that that we want to write a book, and it, you know it could be fiction, it could be nonfiction, all those various things. How important is it that an author has a website? I, I think it's incredibly important if they want to do anything beyond uh, trying to sell a couple of books. Mm-hmm. Um, the the website allows so much more engagement with your potential readers 
and mm-hmm. fosters a, a following that is key if you're go- if you're planning on writing more than one book. Mm-hmm. And as I said, most of the times I'm I'm working with authors who see their book as part of their business. So that website has to do things like capture email addresses and right. have a speaker's kit and all of these other things as well. But even if you're you're simply an author because you want to write and that's it, um, mm-hmm. I think it's important because there's so many different things that you can do with a website that improves your writing craft. Mm-hmm. So a lot of authors that I know who are who are fiction authors will use the website as a means of character development, sketching out mm-hmm. characters before they include them in a story so that they can mm-hmm. get feedback from readers as to you know, ah. like or not like. Um, mm-hmm. You can do something where you're uh, adding a lot of interest for, say, you've written some kind of historical fiction. You can mm-hmm. you can add in a lot of details on your website about, you know, that that period of time. Uh, There's just so many different things that you can do that make the whole thing that much more appealing and enticing. Mm -hmm. One, and I love it when it's, say, a business book. Mm -hmm. And and, and maybe it's a a book, say, about social media that is continually evolving. So by having the book, you've got that, that product that you're selling, but then you've got that online place where you can continually be updating. You can, you know, you can have the user groups, all of those various things that you control. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, and as you're building that mailing list, especially if -hmm. you're doing a book, that's, that's not an evergreen book that you have to update. Like my, my book, the plan that launched a thousand books, um, Mm -hmm. I've already done a second edition of, and and I'm in the planning stage of doing a third edition. And the nice Mm -hmm. thing about having this, this audience that follows that particular title is Mm -hmm. they're the ones who often suggest what should be in the next, you know, the next edition, right? Because of the questions mm-hmm. that they ask or the, the mm-hmm. things they express an interest in, uh, mm-hmm. so it makes my writing a lot easier too. <laughs> right, right. You know, and and it, because it's always good to get feedback from your audience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and if they're saying, "Hey, I've got this great idea," then you know, it's it's perfect because there's nothing that's in a vacuum anymore. You know, there there are no stupid questions mm-hmm. because. You know, there there is no longer just one person curious about it. There's, you know, all these other people. And so it's great to be able to have that platform. And again, you control it. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell people that say, oh, you know, well, I'm only going to have a Facebook business page. I don't need to have a website. And I say, you know what? That's great until Facebook makes changes. Mm-hmm. You know, and whether it's changes to their algorithm, so posts aren't seen nearly as frequently, or, you know, maybe they decide that, they're going to start monetizing it. You know, now don't panic anybody. This is not <laughs> anything that's happening for real, but you never know. They might, sure. you know, or they, you know, they may just, might just change the look and the feel, all those various things. So, you know, social is great. And of course that's, you know, that's what we do, but you still have to send people to what you control and what you own. Well, the nice thing about the stuff that you own as well is because you can control it, there are ways that you can leverage it mm-hmm. to extend the lifespan of the other content you put out there. So mm-hmm. for instance, this book that I talked about, The Plan That Launched a Thousand Books, my first edition of it, when I would recommend a tool or a service, I would actually mm-hmm. write out the URL of that tool or service. Right. And then mm-hmm. if that service went away or that website URL changed, suddenly my mm-hmm. book is no longer valid. People will try right. to go to that link. They get frustrated. Mm-hmm. When I put out the second edition of the book, rather than using the actual URLs, what I did mm-hmm was I used a WordPress plugin called Pretty Link. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. All right, so there's a pl- plugin called Pretty Link that when mm-hmm. you implement it on your site, say I have it on Alloweb Social, 
um, mm-hmm. I can go in and I can define a shortened link like uh, okay. like you can with Bitly and things like that, mm-hmm. except that it's branded. Mm-hmm. So it would be alawebsocial.com slash whatever name I give that link. Okay. So say I have a link going out to one of my favorite tools is Kindle Spy. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll have a pretty link I define that's alawebsocial.com slash Kindle Spy. Mm-hmm. And I put that in the book. But say the link that that's routing to changes over time. Mm-hmm. I can go in and edit that pretty link mm-hmm. to change the target URL. So now it's going to the new one. So ah. my book is never outdated because mm-hmm. I'm using my website to keep my book current. Nice. Now your book is a, a, the the plan that launched a thousand books. It's an ebook, correct? No, it is both an ebook and oh, a, and okay. a paperback. Okay. And so okay. as a paperback, if somebody has the print edition, I, I don't mm-hmm. want it to become invalid. Uh, the other thing that I do is, in, and one of the benefits of the website is, there is a resource page mm-hmm. that is mentioned in the book, and the mm-hmm. resource page is on my website. So I ah. can always make sure that my recommended resources mm-hmm. are current, even if they bought the book a year ago. Mm-hmm. Well, and of course, the cool thing about this is they, you know, they go to your resources page, and then they go, oh, what else do you do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and so then they see that you've written other books, that, that you have this publishing company, that you can help authors design websites, you know, all of those things. So it, it gives you this great platform to be able to really extend your reach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It does. And, and the fun thing is, is, you know, we were talking about uh, earlier about how social media and uh, does that ever turn into business? I, I, mm-hmm. I've had so many things that because of social media, I met and did business with people that I never met in real life. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and, and sometimes they connect me to people that I do end up meeting in real life. And mm-hmm. so this, this latest uh, service that I'm offering through Allo Web Social Marketing was something that at the beginning of April was just a, a seed of an idea mm-hmm. um, that had been planted because I was maintaining a relationship through social media with somebody that I had met once. Uh, mm-hmm. back in 2012. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, she had said to me, you know, you need to meet such and such a person. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it turned out that he was local to me. So so he and I met. And I was like, this is somebody who has a background as a TV news producer. And he has his mm. own PR firm now. Mm-hmm. And I already have somebody that I collaborate with frequently who is a former newspaper editor mm-hmm. and who was writing press releases for my authors and then distributing them to local newspapers. Mm-hmm. But when I met this TV news producer, it was suddenly like, now, gee, wouldn't it be nice to offer some kind of publicity package to my authors? Right. You know, mm-hmm. where we could do a tiered thing, do a, a, a press release only, where if you want to do your DIY distribution, you can do that. A mm-hmm. Middle tier, you know, we do some of the distributions to some of the lower hanging fruit. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, the full, full out package would include, you know, the TV news programs, NPR, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so here I am thinking, oh, gee, wouldn't that be neat when a week later, one of my authors wants exactly that. Ah, perfect. <laughs> and so I had to scramble and put together a package that also included uh, uh, bringing in somebody who books speakers for speaking engagements because he wanted mm-hmm. that as well. And then mm-hmm. in two weeks time, I went from the seed of an idea that started from a happenstance conversation on social media to, mm-hmm. you know, a multi-thousand dollar package um, for for an author that mm-hmm. had I not made these connections and thought, oh, gee, wouldn't that be neat? Uh, what right. have happened? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that points out how important it is that we have these collaborative efforts. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so many times we think that as, you know, a, a solopreneur or, you know, this small business person that we have to do it all. And it really does make better sense to hire somebody who has that expertise to do it rather than to try and do it ourselves. Yeah, I think uh, when we all first start out, we're trying to figure out how to pinch the pennies. And right. uh, that that is something we have to do for a time. But as our network grows and we start seeing how we can partner with others, whether it's a joint venture partnership or outsourcing mm -hmm. to them or whatever else, uh, it really allows us to extend what we can offer. And so mm -hmm. everything for me has been about uh, understanding the needs of that author and speaker. And, and that's mm -hmm. why I became an author and speaker myself was, was to mm -hmm. have that firsthand experience of really what are the challenges they're facing mm -hmm. so that then I could be in the position of trying to figure out, all right, with, with an intimate understanding of those challenges, what can I offer to be the solution? Right. And when I tried to do it all myself, that I became the rate limiter in my business. I mm -hmm. couldn't bring in enough business to cover all my bills because mm -hmm. I was trying to do everything myself. Right. And uh, as soon as you start leveraging, you know, the network, mm -hmm. it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it is something that, especially when you're just starting out, or maybe it's your first book, you are thinking, I have to pinch every single penny. Mm -hmm. But you know, at some point you do have to make an investment and, and you're investing in yourself, in your career, things like that. And, you know, so it's what I love is, is, you know, someone like you that has the tiered program mm -hmm. and you can do it all, you know, and, and I think that's the other thing is people think, well, I don't even know where to, to even start. So talk to us a little bit more about the, the services that you provide. Well, for me, it was one of those things that, um, when I started way back when, I was focusing only on social media. Okay. And one of the things that I found was when you're building traffic with social media and sending it to a website, if the mm -hmm. website stinks, they don't stay along. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, back then I had the idea of finding a website designer that I could work with. But at the time, I really didn't have anybody in my network that I, I mm -hmm. knew well enough. So I started doing website design. Mm -hmm. And over time, that just continued to expand. So at this point mm -hmm. in time, what I found is, you know, if you need a website, oftentimes you only need one. You don't. Some people go like me; they have multiple ones. But right. but most people just want one website, and it doesn't really need to be. They don't need another one for a few years. So mm -hmm. it meant I was always trying to find new clients, and mm -hmm. I'm not a salesperson. I'm mm -hmm. a people person. I'm an educator, <laughs> but right. I'm not going to pick up the phone call and make cold sales. Mm -hmm. But what I kept finding is from mastermind groups that I was participating in, I had a lot of people that I was dealing with who were speakers and authors as well who were struggling through the process of putting a book together. They knew mm -hmm. they wanted one in order to you know, get better speaking engagements, things like that. And because my first company that I had started at 19 was heavily involved in document creation, mm -hmm. um, I thought, well, you know, that's, that's stuff I can do. I know how to build a table of contents. I know how to edit. Right. I know how to index. I know how to do mm -hmm. all that stuff. So I was doing it on the side for friends. Mm -hmm. And after about the seventh book, realized, you know, nobody is ever going to know I touched this book. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as an entrepreneur, you're sitting there going, I, I just traded dollars for hours. Mm -hmm. I didn't do anything to build anything here. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so that's when the idea of launching Emerald Lake Books came to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I kind of did it in a unique way in that not only did I launch the imprint, but I used it as the opportunity to put out the second edition of the plan that launched a thousand books ah. because the cover design that I had had on the original book was not what I had hoped for uh, mm -hmm. because the artist I was using couldn't do what I hoped for. And in mm. the intervening years, I met somebody who, who 
was a digital illustrator and could give me what mm-hmm. I want. Uh, mm. The book has this very unique, every ship that's on the book cover mm-hmm. is the, the hull of the ship is a book. Ah, which, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. It's very cool. I can, I'm looking at it on the website. <laughs> so um, what I found is, is I used that second edition because the book needed to be updated anyway to, to launch Emerald Lake Books. And that was October mm-hmm. of 2014. Mm-hmm. Since then, that part of my business has been kind of the hugest part because uh, I've in, in its first year, it was 53% of my revenue. Mm. Which the nice thing is, is every single one of those authors then needed a website. And they right. needed social media training. So it allowed mm-hmm. me to kind of expand my business. But it, more importantly, it allowed them to know once they had built a relationship with me that they didn't have to now go find somebody to right. do a website, somebody mm-hmm. to teach them social media, somebody to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, every, every time I've added something, it's been about now what else can I offer that's going to benefit mm-hmm. this particular demographic? Right. What do they need and how can I be the answer to that? Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about Emerald Lake Books. Are there specific authors, specific, um, you know, do you uh, prefer business books? What what type of, of authors do you like to work with? I'm finding that I like to work with a lot of different authors. The, the, the target audience for Emerald Lake Books has been people who uh, see their book as part of their business model. Okay. Uh, the main thing that most authors aren't really aware of is that mm-hmm. – um, First-time authors rarely sell more than 150 copies of their book over right. the lifespan. And, and those were all bought by their family. Exactly. And so the issue becomes they spend money on producing a book that never really makes back the revenue they spent on it. And mm-hmm. so it becomes kind of a dissatisfying experience sometimes for them. Mm-hmm. And so when I focused on individuals who see their, their book as part of their business model, they understood that the real sales potential wasn't in the book sales the mm-hmm. sales potential was in the better educated clients or the ah. established expertise or the speaking mm-hmm. opportunities that it created or the fact that they could increase their consulting rates when they were, you know, a best-selling author as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, when they didn't have a book at all. And right. they understood that they were going to make back their revenue in other ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I was focusing on that. But the interesting thing is, is that with the publicity I had done, um, I, I live in Connecticut, and so I use this this news editor that I, I have, uh, mm-hmm. and he put out press releases in the local Connecticut area, and the result was I had a lot of people with kind of passion projects mm. come to me, and mm-hmm. um, I, I am at this point able to pick and choose which projects I take, which is nice. Nice. Uh, mm-hmm. And some of them were just, they were too interesting to turn away. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so one of them was a gentleman who... Um, it's kind of a funny story, but he had been writing poetry for his children uh, mm-hmm. since 1992. And mm. he had been writing these poems every year just before Christmas time uh-huh. that he would uh, staple to the cellar door. Ah. And it was always some kind of humorous poem that was about the holiday season and all this stuff. But it would end up, um, end with a warning not to go down mm-hmm. in the basement. And ah. that's because that's where he was assembling toys and wrapping gifts yes. and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Santa's workshop was down exactly, there. Exactly, exactly. So he wanted to, as a gift to his family, he wanted to actually take all of these years of poems and mm-hmm. have them made into a book. Oh, how sweet. And so the book was called On the Cellar Door and All That Goes With mm-hmm. Winter. Mm. And uh, so so each one of those is actually still on the, the, uh, the holiday letter paper that mm-hmm. the poem had originally been printed on. Oh, how cute. And we took mm-hmm. all these originals that had, you know, thumbtack holes and tape 
mm-hmm. tape creases and, you know, <laughs> all these mm-hmm. different things. And we digitally restored them so that none of those nice. Mars are there mm-hmm. and put them into essentially a coffee table book that's very attractive. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love uh, it. Another book we're working on is, is uh, the history of the Great State Danbury Fair uh, mm-hmm. that's written. It's co-authored by the wife of the last owner of the fair mm-hmm. and the grandson of the last mm-hmm. owner of the fair. Now, the first part that the, the wife had written was she finished her part in 1955. Oh. And the grandson found the manuscript in mm-hmm. 83 and mm-hmm. wrote the second part and is just now mm-hmm. getting around. He's in his 70s. He's just now getting mm-hmm. around to publishing it. But the interesting thing about that project is, is you know, taking the, the part that was written in 55 and mm-hmm. editing to the editing standards from 1955. Ah. because we wanted to retain her voice we wanted to retain mm-hmm. that writing style so we wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that what edits we made so that words mm-hmm. she used we we keep joking about one that's uh she talked about a whip socket and i mm-hmm. i had no clue what a whip socket was right mm-hmm. and so i asked the current author i said you know is it all right if i put a foot, footnote in there so that right yeah people day, need an explanation a modern day reader understands that reference and he mm-hmm. thought it was funny because he'd never he'd always known what a whip socket was but mm-hmm. then later on when i approached him about being on a podcast um he was like you know i have no clue what that is he said i have right. to i have to apologize for teasing you about whip socket because mm-hmm. the only thing i can come up with with a podcast is that you're shelling peas <laughs> uh-huh yeah and i'm like no <laughs> so it's it's fun i bet well you had your own passion project um you've written a book that is the best is yet to come so tell us a little bit about it huh. Uh, the Best is Yet to Come is um, probably one of the books that I'm most proud of mm-hmm. uh, because it's touched it's touched a lot of different people. Uh, when I first started writing it, I was writing it for me. The The story mm-hmm. is about the lessons I learned in overcoming the death of my fiancé, uh, mm-hmm. who died unexpectedly in October of 2011. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had been single, a single parent for 12 years before I met Frank. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were together four months. It was mm-hmm. a very short short time but we uh mm-hmm. we planned to get married and he died unexpectedly oh dear and it was really hard um mm-hmm. and so when I first started writing that book it was on the one year anniversary of Frank and I having met mm. and I was going back through our emails and voicemails and I just I wanted to jot everything down because I was concerned that over time I was going to forget mm-hmm. and the details were going to fade away and um so I started writing it for me mm-hmm. and then somebody special came into my life and I found that I started kind of writing it for him so that he can understand what I'd been through and how it had affected mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time I was done writing everything, uh, I realized that it was about much more than just me or my mm-hmm. friend. Um, it really was something that was contained lessons in it that mm-hmm. were beneficial to anybody who was finding themselves held back by grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion that there is this, um, grief is a good thing. Grief is something mm-hmm. that we need to experience, right. mm-hmm. but there comes a point where, where grief no longer serves us. We serve it. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, we need to be able to recognize that that tipping point has been reached and we need to mm-hmm. do something different. Right. And the lessons that I outline in this book through the example of my story, um, are, are ones that really seem to resonate with readers. I, I have people mm-hmm. who have written to me from all over the world, uh, mm-hmm. Lithuania, Pakistan, Germany, England, uh, mm-hmm. talking about how much this book has impacted their life. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of whom sh- you know, tell me they've shared it around with friends, uh, that they're reading it multiple times. Um, so it's one of those things that 
you know, I, I don't have a business model behind. I'm not a grief counselor. I'm not a grief coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm certain it's just your personal story. It's my personal story. It's it's out there, but um, it really makes a difference. And it's one of those things mm-hmm. that I'm very very proud of, actually, and very humbled mm-hmm. by. I bet. You know, it's, it, it does. It sounds like a, a wonderful book. And it's been, you know, kind of your philosophy now going forward that the best is yet to come. Yes. It, it has become the overarching umbrella of everything that I do. Uh, mm-hmm. Because whether I'm working with an author, with a speaker, or uh, just doing my own writing, uh, you mm-hmm. know, every day we get up is a new day. We have a new mm-hmm. chance. We have new opportunities. Uh, we can make different decisions that we did than we did before if we're not happy with mm-hmm. where we're at. And in all honesty, you know, when you approach life with a clean slate every day, mm-hmm. the best is yet to come because it's about right. what you make it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and obviously we need to learn from the past, but we need to not get stuck in the past. Exactly. Exactly. For, for me, grief is not about forgetting what happened. Right. It's about acknowledging what happened and allowing that to, to have its place in our life mm-hmm. without it becoming what uh, defines us. Mm-hmm. You know, from an author's perspective, which one of the tools or, you know, any of them did you use in promoting your book? Hmm. Um, so with that, because it is very personal. I mean, you know, it's, it's not that you're promoting the business books and things like that. You know, this would be something that would be very different. It it is very different. And, and I do have a talk that goes along with it. It's called finding the gift and grief, um, Mm. that, that, you know, I do like to, to offer, when people mm-hmm. are, are interested in it. But when it mm-hmm. comes to promoting it, the, I, I've let the book speak for itself more than anything else. Uh, mm-hmm. What I've done is I've focused more on reviewer campaigns and trying to mm-hmm. build up kind of what others are saying on my book listing right. than mm-hmm. I have about promoting the book itself. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing is, though, I do use it as an example when I'm, when I'm speaking at authors and publishers conferences about doing book marketing, I use it as an example when I talk about understanding who your target audience is. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, I don't like using target audience because um, nobody wants to be a target. You know, instead what I use is, is ideal reader. Who's your ideal Mm -hmm. reader? Everyone wants to Mm -hmm. be the ideal, you know? Right. So, Mm -hmm. so when I use, when when I speak, I'll use it as an example. And oftentimes people will buy copies of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, once once right. they've heard, but mm-hmm. then it allows me to say, all right, so understanding who your ideal reader is. Well, for me, mm-hmm. it's typically because it's written in a, a love story. It's going to be a woman of a certain age um, mm-hmm. it, because it's about grief, but it's not about um, stuffing it. It's about dealing mm-hmm. with it. It's going to mm-hmm. be somebody who's experienced some kind of traumatic loss. And, and it's mm-hmm. not necessarily the loss of a loved one. It could be uh, a job. It could be a career. Mm-hmm. It could be a home. Right, because we grieve those we things grieve. when we lose them. Exactly, and but the grief is uh, that that event has to have been at least three months prior, and and more likely mm-hmm. six months prior. Oh, okay, so they're they're at the point where they're ready to move on. Exactly, exactly. So I'll then use this book as a demonstration mm-hmm. when I speak, so that people understand kind of the thought process behind it, and mm-hmm. that's actually a good way of selling books as well. <laughs> right, right. You know, and and I love the process that you have that you. You focus on the the reader reviews, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like anything. We can all brag about what we've done, and people go, "Yeah, yeah," you know. Of course, she's going to say it's wonderful and it's the greatest book that's ever written. But when other people, and it doesn't matter whether we know them or not. In fact, you know, it, it's kind of immaterial. 
But when other people say, this is the greatest book I've ever read, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. well, I better check that out because Bob Smith thought it was the greatest book he'd ever read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I have that aspect of it, the reader reviews, and then um, by that same token, uh, awards contests. I, I've mm. gotten away from pursuing bestseller status because mm-hmm. unless you're pursuing New York Times bestseller or Wall Street Journal's bestseller or something like that, the Amazon bestseller system is something that can be gamed so easily. And yes, it can easily be gamed. That, that everyone's a bestseller now. And it's mm-hmm. like, so it's, it's, so it's taken away the power or prestige of being able to say you're a bestseller off, best-selling author. Mm-hmm. I, I am an Amazon bestseller, but you'll see that I don't include that in my bio anymore. Instead, mm-hmm. I focus on the fact that I'm an award-winning author. Right. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, these award-winning uh, contests, the award contests, are judged by – so, for instance, one of my favorites is the President's Book Award at the Florida Authors mm-hmm. and Publishers Association. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what they do is they send out the book to volunteers who are librarians, business professionals, mm-hmm. um, you know, people who would be part of your ideal reader demographic – Mm-hmm. And based on the feedback from those individuals who are – they represent your ideal reader, so that's your, mm-hmm. your buying market. They're the ones giving the feedback mm-hmm. for this President's Book Award. Um, there are too many awards contests out there that are popularity contests. You know, mm-hmm. the voting is open from now until Tuesday. You know, right. <laughs> go mm-hmm. click on it. And then you, you bombard your Facebook sites <laughs> and, you know, please, everybody go vote for me. Exactly. But, you know, mm-hmm. you look at Reader's Favorite, you look at uh, Writer's Digest, you look at, you know, Florida Authors and Publishers Association. When they give an award, it's really about quality. Right. And I think there's a lot more benefit to pursuing that and the re- reviewer campaigns than there is to pursuing these, these best-selling things. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're working with an author, is that something that you can help them with? Is figuring out, you know, how to to apply for those these type of awards? Yes, that is something that that I do. Um, it's actually, and and uh, I've done reviewer campaigns even for authors that I didn't publish. Uh, mm-hmm. They've simply come to me and and kind of we discuss who their ideal reader is. We talk about mm-hmm. uh, their book and and you know who. It, one of these things of, you know, if you like so-and-so, you'll like this, you know, right. so, mm-hmm. so who's a comparable author or writing style. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that information, I can run reviewer campaigns for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do that. And, you know, same with the, the book awards uh, on my mailing list. I'll often point out some upcoming awards uh, mm-hmm. so that people are aware that they're, they're there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Well, and, you know, I want to come back to this ideal reader concept mm-hmm. because, you know, whether it's, you know, your, your, your target market, and you're right, we don't want to be targets, and, and we shouldn't think of them that way. It is so important that whether it's a product or a service or, or a book, that you have fine-tuned that. You know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've, I've asked somebody now, who, who is your, your best client? Everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> no. You know, Starbucks does not target everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to know who your ideal is. Now, granted, you're going to have offshoots from that. And I think that sometimes is where people get caught up is they forget that you have secondary and, and, you know, things like that. But how do you really get people to focus on who their ideal reader, client, customer is? That, that's a fun thing. I've had to rephrase things so mm-hmm. that uh, when, when I ask who would be interested in their book and they say everybody, I, I tell them that, that <laughs> I, I, I'm – Maybe uh, a little easy, but I say, you know, maybe that's the case. But when we're mm-hmm. doing a marketing campaign, we right. need to be very specific. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to do a marketing campaign this week, 
who would be the ideal reader in that marketing campaign. Mm. We can do another marketing campaign targeting a different ideal reader next week. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> but who are we targeting this week? And so oftentimes mm -hmm. then that'll start getting them to think about, well, what's what's going on in the world right now? Mm -hmm. How does my book relate to what's going on in the world? Mm -hmm. uh, and so therefore, you know, being tax, having just had tax season <laughs> earlier this week, mm -hmm. uh, which was painful this year, um, <laughs> it's, it's one of those mm -hmm. things you may think about, well, if you had a business book that was about finances, then maybe, you know, an accountant would be mm -hmm. an ideal reader, you know, so, right. so you just, you try and steer them away from mm -hmm. kind of who would like to read your book to mm -hmm. who do we want to talk to about your book right now? Right. And even though it's really the same question, it's just being phrased in a different way. Mm -hmm. It allows them to become much more narrow and focused. Mm -hmm. Well, and initially they should actually have that in mind before they ever even start to write their book. <laughs> you know, and, and I think that probably is one of those things that people forget is they've got this passion, mm -hmm. you know, and, and or, the, you know, for whatever that is that they're going to write about. It could be the poems. It could be, you know, the, the next business trend. You know, it, it could be grief, you know, all of those various things. But if they don't know who they're writing for, it just kind of meanders along, um, you know, and, and you, you have to know that before you can really write the book that's going to, you know, or, or sell the product or service that is going to hit that sweet spot. I think that's very true for, um, for business books and, mm -hmm. and for nonfiction books. Oftentimes with fiction books, uh, it is a little more chaotic. Um, it's mm -hmm. really more about the story having a life of its own. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, and, and I, I laughed when you first brought it up because with the best is yet to come, I thought I was the reader. Right. So, but you are that ideal. That's, that's the thing is, and, and I love that you call it a passion book. Um, you were that ideal reader mm -hmm. and, and so, because you were telling your personal story. Yep. And then that's you know, why and, and my we, ideal reader is very much like me. <laughs> right. You know, and, and. And that's perfectly acceptable. I think where we see problems come in is when people think, well, no, that's not who I want it to, to be, you know, and, and, or, you know, maybe it is their passion story and they think, well, nobody would be interested in this. So, but I think they'd be interested in that. So that's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. It's like, nah, you know, you have to, especially when you're writing about your passion, it has to be your passion. It can't be the made up passion. It can't mm -hmm. be, you know, somebody else's story passion. It has to be yours. Right, because you're the one that's giving it that unique voice, and mm -hmm. you're the it's your voice that makes it different from every other book that's like it out there. Mm -hmm. You know, and and it is something that I think people tend to forget because we we have that idea, that concept of you know what we want to do, and then we just go, you know, and and even writing a book, there are steps and and things that you need to take. It was funny; I was interviewing somebody the other day about you know being an author. And one of the things that we got to laughing about was the fact that so many people think they don't need an editor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's like, no, oh, no, no. You know, you know what it's, you know what you want it to say. And so you miss those errors and, and things like that. So, you know, that's where it's great to be able to work with a company like yours because you have that full service capability. Mm -hmm. and, and when it comes to the editing, there's so many different types of editing too that can right. be done. You've, you've got mm -hmm. ones where you're just looking for grammar. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of it's you're looking for style. Uh, but mm -hmm. what I found the majority of authors need when they come to me is they actually need a full development edit. They, mm -hmm. they need that piece that that clips away the meandering bits mm -hmm. <laughs> and really makes it focus because right. once they finished writing, now they figured out who their audience is. 
Mm-hmm. And so how do you tighten it up now so that it really addresses that audience? Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, it it is a big process. I doubt that there's anybody who writes a book and, you know, now I, I shouldn't say that. There are people who write it and it's the only draft. They, you know, they never go back. They revisit it. The problem is they probably should have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even the biggest authors and, and you know, most well-known in the world they have multiple drafts, mm-hmm. you know, they, it, because it does, it evolves. And, and especially I'm guessing like with fiction, because you get down one path and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I like this character. Let's develop him a little bit more. Um, you know, or you mentioned, you know, you've got it on your website and, and people have said, Hey, let's, let's find out more about this person, um, you know, or, or that character or that location. So it does have a life of its own. Mm-hmm. And, and the funny thing too, is that when it comes to that, um, I tell every author I work with that before we release this book to anybody i'm sending you Mm -hmm. a printed proof copy and they're Mm -hmm. like well can't you check the proof for me (laughs) and i'm like no you have to check the proof yourself Mm -hmm. because i guarantee you no matter how perfect we think it is Mm -hmm. that printed version you always find stuff in there has never been a time that i have seen a proof that i didn't find at least a half dozen things to fix Mm-hmm. And 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 my my book, the best is yet to come. I actually ended up editing it seventeen times, right? And I'm a professional writer, mm-hmm. <laughs> so well. And and it's like I said, we we see it mm-hmm. the way we think it should be, and you know sometimes we are our own worst proofreaders. Oh yeah, because we know what we meant to say. <laughs> right, right. You know, and and what do you mean that comma is not supposed to be there? You know, and, and um, but th- that's where, you know, as, as I mentioned, you've got all of these different levels of service that you provide, whether it's, you know, something very basic, you know, or something very complicated that is going to, to really take a lot of time and effort. So one last time, tell us a little bit about your publishing company and then your social media uh, presence. All right. So my publishing company is Emerald Lake Books. You can find mm-hmm. it at emeraldlakebooks.com. Mm-hmm. And my social media presence, um, you'll find mostly under Aloweb Social, uh, mm-hmm. which is the AlloWebSocial.com uh, website. That's the one that focuses primarily on helping authors and speakers with their, their marketing. Uh, mm-hmm. So we do website design, social media training, all of that. And so far as my social media presence, uh, Twitter, I am E and T's mom. Uh, mm-hmm. I had my Twitter handle long before I had my business. <laughs> uh-huh. And then... Um, uh, on social media, on Facebook, you can find me either at Emerald Lake Books, uh, Aloweb Social, or at uh, Tara R. Alamany. Great. And Aloweb is A-L-E-W-E-B social.com. Yes, it is. Great. Well, Tara, this has been fascinating, and it's going to be fun, you know, following you online and seeing more about what you do and the process that you go through, because I work with a lot of people who I know can use your services. Well, thank you, Deb. I'm looking forward to uh, following you on social media as well. Great. Well, I'm Deb Creer. It's pretty easy to find me online. It's just D-E-B-K-R-I-E-R.com. And until next week, everyone have a great week. Thanks for listening to Deb Career, your social media friend. Tune in next time to listen to more great tips, techniques, and trends for using social media. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.